this is going to be edited out, but I think that we should definitely have our own in the time of post-Soviet <laughs> television. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I like that. We should have that as our intro. In the times of brick phones, tamagotchis, and curtain bangs, the 90s kids cried out for a badass. She was Xena, the warrior princess. The kicks, the moves, the nostalgia, the queerness. Xena made us gay. Uh, I was thinking that at the end, at the end, at the beginning, it's um, <laughs> maybe a good idea to introduce ourselves. And, and I was thinking that maybe I can say one thing that Zina brought to my life. So here goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Alisa. I'm a polyamorous creative copywriter. And Zina taught me comedic timing. Did it, did it teach you how to do it or her not, how, how not to do it? I think both. <laughs> yeah, well, fair enough. Fair enough. Cool. I'm Chris. I do things for work, but let's not mention that. I sell I sell my time and skills for money. Fair. Um, and Zena made me interested in gay shit. <laughs> that is nice, and that is nice that. Uh when you saw it you were much younger yeah i think i started watching it when i was like five four or five yes four or five yeah yeah and i was like 11 12 and still i think you picked up on gay gay shit uh much better well not consciously that's the thing like i think i like in my head um xena and gabrielle were quote unquote together but I, uh-huh. I never really consciously thought about what that means, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, in my head, I didn't, I didn't think of them as, I don't know, lesbians or not lesbians. Like, it, it just not, it wasn't in, th- those categories weren't in my head, you know? Yeah, yeah. So when did you start... I don't know. When did you find out that lesbians exist? First of all, <laughs> when when tattoo became big. So so quite soon after Xena, um, because I remember reading my dad's men's magazines in the bathroom, as you yep. do, <laughs> as one does. Look, the bathroom had heated floors, <laughs> and it was really really comfy to just lie on the on the heated floor. Um, and, you know, very heterosexually look at, uh, photos of naked women. <laughs> As one does. Of course, of um, course. At the age of, like, yeah. eight. <laughs> um, yeah. And I remember, like, reading all of the interviews with, with the girls from Tattoo in, in those magazines and trying to mm-hmm. find the the place in the interview where they actually say outright that they're lesbians. I really wanted them to just say, 
hi, yes, we are actually lesbians. And they would never say it. And it frustrated the fuck out of me. And they never did. <laughs> well, because you slash they weren't, but you know. I think we should maybe uh, like insert a little bit of a trivia fact for our English speaking listeners who are we're not very much aware of a, a, obscure 90s uh, Russian bands. No, so no. You... Western, Western lesbians know about tattoo. Trust. Okay, so for those of our listeners who don't... <laughs> well, clearly you, you care about those people so much, you should, you should do it. Okay. In the early 2000s? At the very 90s? end of the 90s is when they first appeared, like 98, 99 maybe. Late, late 90s, while Chris is looking it up, I'm going to talk. Um, a group appeared. 99. With two young girls who were singing... I drove myself crazy, I need her, and we're going to escape from everyone sort of narrative. And uh, for anyone who was willing to use a little bit of an imagination, they were clearly together. They were like, they were not even hints. They were like doing everything but blatantly saying we're a lesbian couple. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think you needed mu much imagination. Yeah. They kissed uh a, a few times also on stage uh, definitely at eurovision but maybe other times too anyway so so i think tattoo was the first instance of me like thinking about the category of lesbian the the identity of lesbian but certainly that is not where i was with with xena there it was just you know two people that clearly to me were quote unquote together um i was um kind of thinking that xena was one of the shows that aired on this uh channel mainly dedicated i think to uh those entertainment series like estes was like more or less consistent with airing one show after the other so i, I was looking up the shows that aired around that time in Russia. So they were friends. I never were into friends. I don't think I've ever seen a full episode of Friends in my entire life. Me neither. Sorry, don't don't cancel us. Don't kill us for that, but you can cancel us. Like, who, not our thing. Whatever. Um Beverly Hills 90210, which I did watch and I have absolutely no recollection of the show whatsoever. <laughs> like I don't even know what the characters' names are. I think there was a Donna that's that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was the '90s. There must have been a Donna. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I again, like I remember Friends. I don't even remember being on mm -hmm. uh, Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero. I do remember being on TV, but again, I don't think I've ever seen any of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were charmed, which again, I think I watched a couple of episodes, but I never was into that. I think Charmed is one of those that like friends it's became this cult show for some people mm. not us charmed um i did i did see one or two episodes because i don't remember who it was but one of my friends at the time was really into charmed and convinced me to watch an episode and i did and i think i decided that i hated it like act like actively hated it and, that that was generally the thing that I that I often did as a as a as a kid. Um, 
that I, I selected some um, things to hate from things to hate from from pop culture that uh, I decided were bad and I needed to hate them and Charmed was one of them and I'm pretty sure it was like some weird internalized um, uh, misogyny and femphobia mm-hmm. that that led me to to do that because like um, Xena was you know cool and badass and and those those women were like they were also I guess badass mm-hmm. because they're like witches or whatever but they were kind of fe- feminine and and more girly and I was like uh that's not cool I don't I don't like that I like I like badass women with swords and shit yeah I also remember not being into charmed because it kind of seemed like this dynamic in a all girls high school that that sort of feel and I had that in my real life and I didn't enjoy it but you didn't go to all girls high school I did one of my classes in Lithuania I lived a few years in Lithuania was like two boys and uh like 20 girls all right okay yeah fair enough um so moving on with the show there was Walker Texas Ranger (laughs) I don't I have no idea what that is uh it's this chuck norris uh breaking thing with things with his fists uh head (laughs) and legs (laughs) and the last thing that i kind of recalled was baywatch which i saw a couple of episodes but i never was really into it and i don't know if that's like a cult show for anyone but maybe i'd say so they keep reviving it no yeah no i mean I think that that's like a thing that everyone remembers. You remember Pamela Anderson running along the beachside. And I, I don't know if that's what I remember from Baywatch or for numerous SNL sketches that were right, made. Right, just from, <laughs> from the ether of being alive around the time that Pamela Anderson was at the top of her game. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but I think that all of those more or less, like maybe with the exception of Walker, Texas Ranger, are those cult shows. But... What I'm getting at is that I doubt, maybe I'm wrong, but I doubt that Hercules has Hercules Legendary Adventures, the original show that Xena kind of was a spinoff to, mm-hmm. uh, was this cult show for such a large amount of people. So I don't think that it was as cult as Xena in the end. Yeah, and definitely in the long term, uh, given that Kevin Sorbo just kept exposing the the best qualities a human being can have absolutely absolutely just like a consistent piece of shit of a human being but he's so disappointed with wokeism disappointed (laughs) (laughs) um if you don't know this meme um go to youtube and search hercules disappointed and (laughs) you will not be disappointed was going to say yeah yeah and like make sure to to read um the description of the video because uh it's not just him saying disappointed it's why he's saying disappointed (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that's that's legendary but apart from that hercules the legendary journeys were not so legendary and i don't want to go like so much into trivia but i in preparation for this episode Mm -hmm. i read a little bit about um why robert teppert one of the creators of um, 
I think both Hercules legendary journeys and Xena warrior princess, why he wanted to go that route Mm -hmm. is that he was very inspired by Hong Kong cinema and those acrobatic, uh, war. Yeah. Yeah. Those acrobatic battle scenes. And he was thinking that Mm -hmm. I want to bring more of that, but we cannot bring more of that because Hercules is such an all American hunk and he just punches things. He cannot scream and do, triple pirouettes in the air and then punch someone (laughs) i mean i would kind of love to see that to be honest but yeah it would be like a one-off episode like that episode where he became a a a monkey or a a pig or then like first a monkey and then a pig they at some point they ran out of ideas i was like let's just keep turning him into different kinds of animals yeah i i remember what he was called in Russian, he was Svinyakl, but I don't remember <laughs> what was the word. <laughs> yeah, it was Svinyakl for the pig and Makakl for the monkey. <laughs> and I'm sure the English puns were as funny, but we just don't know them because, yep. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, because, because Russian language, the Russian language is, is a little more flexible than than English. Like the structure of the word itself um, could have been could have been better in Russian. Maybe, you know? maybe, yeah. But that that was super funny. But apart from that, yeah, he was not very much uh, suited to that kinds of epic battle scenes, and thus they wanted to introduce like a free episode arc of Xena Warrior Princess and Hercules, and then make a spin-offs which i guess actually also like running a little bit uh, ahead of myself is one of the things why we love xena warrior princess and what makes it so campy are those insane mm-hmm. battle scenes with those kicks and screams and so extra yeah so i think that that's a good segue to actually get into the episode one what is it called <laughs> homecoming uh no, Sins of the Sins Past. Sins of the Past, okay. Yeah. Sins of the Past, and we are introduced to Xena's Sins of the Past pretty early on, right? We have this establishing hero shot, which I loved, by the way. It's like, looking at it now, it's like The Last Samurai, her on a horse. Yeah, but The Last Samurai came out later. Yes, so The Last Samurai <laughs> clearly derived something from the Xena <laughs> Warrior Yep, yep, sure. Uh, yeah, and uh, we have the intro music, which I think that this is one of those nostalgic things that is really engraved in your brain. And I, if you asked me like the day before yesterday to sing this Xena music, I couldn't. But when I heard it, of course, my body remembers it. Oh. And basically, at the very beginning, we see Xena enter a looted village and she asks some orphan hanging around what happened and uh, he says that Xena raided the village right Mm -hmm. and like I wonder how common women warriors are because he just sees a super badass warrior woman and he's like well duh this is not Xena this is is one of the 100-500 others uh, (laughs) warrior women <laughs> that i see every day um like seems like it just it just does not phase him at all but he he does have this like really supernatural idea of, of who xena is kind of like in um 
our flag means death shout out to our flag means death uh how how people assume that um blackbeard's head is made of smoke and and that shit uh it seems like uh this this boy has a similar idea of yeah she was like riding the breathing fire the the, the burning chariot and things like that um yeah Yeah. i i I loved it i love this legendary description of xena and also loved how he was asking her for food she said that there the food is scarce everywhere and then he tells this sob story not actually even trying a lot and then she's like okay here you go kid have all my supplies that i have on me yeah but also like do we know why food is scarce like what what happened we don't like it's supposed to be land of plenty like it's a it's a it's a it's a land where there are olive trees and fruit trees everywhere i think that in this world building most of the villages are inherently poor just because we need to pity them and when warlords loot them we need to pity them so i think that most of the villages are pretty poor and just getting by with little to no food or supplies i think that very rarely do we encounter rich villages or towns right that's true so xena Zina gets scammed by the kid and then you have like <laughs> this uh early established that list that i want you to <laughs> recount i really liked it um yeah so we we do see quite a lot of flashbacks uh first of all for for xena during the time that she's evil and like she looks quite awesome being evil like they they're not really trying to make it look i don't know that disturbing or or um kind of repulsive she like you look at her pillaging and and uh destroying villages and you're like hell yeah that that looks that looks great (laughs) it's kind of (laughs) um during the american history x thing of like yeah this is this is an anti-nazi movie but you're making nazis look pretty cool pretty Mm -hmm. awesome like mm, i don't know i don't know whether you're aesthetically you're you're following your uh your message but anyway um but because a lot of those shots of her doing evil shit end up in the in the intro title like of like look at xena xena is awesome and uh here are images of her uh murdering people (laughs) for no reason yeah (laughs) and also look at her boobs oh yes oh yes it is the 90s uh so of course we need to ogle her body (laughs) Um, in the intro but but before before we hit the intro we we see like a scene that um kind of establishes who xena is um and also establishes gabrielle what that scene gives us as information is a xena doesn't need weapons to be awesome (laughs) um b xena is hot um c xena finds gabrielle hot like she immediately looks at her and is like Oh, yeah. <laughs> and D, and that kind of uh, follows what you mentioned about those Hong Kong movies with impressive choreographies. That she has a hell of a oh, split because yeah. she she stands right in front of the guy and she manages to like kick him in the face somehow um, several times, I think, 
Um, so all of this is important information that will uh, be quite um, representative of what the the rest of the series is. And also we find out that like the weapons can fly and aim all by themselves, like a bunch of uh, spears and and knives and swords are kicked into the air and they like just hit their target land yeah. they, they hit their target they, they land uh directly like facing down with with their most dangerous <laughs> part yeah um which is also um yeah as you, as you mentioned before adding to the to the campness of it all yeah yeah i think what really what i loved most about this first fighting scene is that we don't see Xena's punches. We just see the guy's head flying in e- which every direction and we hear the punch sound. So it's like Xena is giving invisible punches, basically. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's that good. And of course, we, we get the the signature uh, Xena move of like holding onto a pole or a spear or something like something in the ground that she can hold onto and like run around everyone and... Uh, do her um like chanting thing i cannot i cannot reproduce i i kept trying as a kid also <laughs> to reproduce that, that chant and it has never happened for me but it's kind of like um at arab weddings that's that's how uh women chant to like celebrate um so that's that's clearly where it, it comes from uh so interesting i don't know i haven't read anything about the the history of wh- why they decided to um Make that sort of battle cry. Yeah, yeah, battle cry, exactly. It's very hard to mimic, although it's very distinctive. We're going to insert it here <laughs> so we can enjoy yeah, it all together. Yeah. yeah, and here we're also introduced to the chakram. Yeah, yeah, we'll find out that it's essentially made out of adamantium because it like cuts the, the, the swords in half, essentially. Um, and like, bounces from one to the next to the next so it it can fly in any direction it loses none of its momentum it essentially like is alive you know yeah yeah it's a little bit of a a magic carpet in disney's uh, aladdin Mm. is alive and has an agenda of its own yeah yeah, it seems that chakram also is one of those magic creatures yeah yeah absolutely yeah, and then we finally get to the narration with in the world of ancient gods. Warlords and kings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's great. You you cannot go wrong with the in a world uh narration. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's super great. And like also I was comparing it yesterday. I rewatched Hercules the Legendary Journeys narration and, and it had a similar vibe, but it's not similar. It, it is like mm. with, with Hercules, it's like, oh, here's like this all American guy going around <laughs> saying, saving everyone. Isn't he cool <laughs> with his shirt open? <laughs> yeah. And with Zena, you kind of feel more, ah, more momentum, uh, more mm. ep- epicness mm. of the moment. Also, is it ever so? The series is called Xena Warrior Princess. Do we ever find out why the hell she's a princess? Like, princess of what? No, we don't. I think maybe later in the series, as we're going to rewatch, we're going to revisit that. I think later in the series, it is addressed a little bit, and I think it has something to do with her probably being related, allegedly being related to Ares. But that makes her a demigod. That doesn't make her a princess. Yes. Yes. I, d- I don't know. Yeah, that is weird. 
we are in the in Gabrielle's village with all the maidens who were saved and Gabrielle is chatting Zena up and we're going to get to that but what really surprised me in this scene is that we meet Gabrielle's dad I had no recollection of that I re- recalled that we know her sister and her sister is going to be a recurring character but I had no mm-hmm. recollection that we meet Gabby's dad and he's like just chucked up to the side. I guess this is the episode of meeting the parents. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but like he doesn't matter in the story at all. Like no. we, we we meet him, but we could also have skipped him entirely and that wouldn't have made much of a difference. We care for him as little as the disposable fiance. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Which like one of the first things that... that Gabrielle says when when she's uh, back in the village is a uh, she's she like establishes that she has a massive crush on Xena obviously and and yes um, and B she really really doesn't care about her shitty fiance <laughs> um, I mean why should she uh, at this point yeah it's, it, it really she has this very Meg Ryan vibe of like oh this is my fiance he's introduced on screen just to be chucked away that's it that's done I'm I'm less familiar with the Meg Ryan oeuvre than than you are y- yeah yeah well it's just in um, Nora Ephron movies Meg Ryan often has a love story like closer to the middle of the film that, that is going to be established mm-hmm. but she always in contrast with other single gals like Bridget Jones she always has a disposable fiance that she needs to put aside to <laughs> go to her real love okay i see gabrielle is trying to impress zena in every which way <laughs> yeah yeah she's like oh i know where amphipolis is it's in <laughs> such and such area um i'm really into geography oh, <laughs> like, oh sweetheart <laughs> and also so you, you you mentioned meg ryan but also um gabrielle has this like disney princess thing like kind of like bell-esque mm-hmm. Where she's like, oh, I'm, I'm not like the other girls. I, I don't fit in the, into this village. I'm, I'm destined for bigger things. Yeah, yeah, I read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's just it seems that she's going to burst into song about this poor provincial town. Oh, yes, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, but um. Zena so far is unimpressed. Yeah, yeah, and like she throws a little line to to Gabrielle when when she's telling Gabrielle not to not to follow her. Um, Zina's like, "Oh, you don't want to make me mad now, do you?" And like the face that Gabrielle makes, she's soaking wet immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great to rewatch it with those kind of eyes because I think I watched Zina a couple of times, but I never start with the first episode of the first season. I always go further, so. To see those things sprinkled in at the very beginning of the series is actually is actually great. It's especially interesting because it seems like the the subtext was kept as subtext also for the actors. Mm. Like they weren't necessarily told explicitly, okay, so we can't we can't have this in the in the text but this is exactly what's happening just so that you know what what to play like i don't think that's that's how it happened i think i think the the scripts were 
you know, suggesting some things. And um, I'm sure the the showrunners and the directors didn't um, prevent it, but they, they didn't like explicitly discuss it from what I understand. Uh, like um, in uh, the original Ben-Hur, um, mm-hmm. there was there was a scene that had some subtext about uh, the two men having been in a relationship before and one of the actors sp- like explicitly knew that that was the subtext of the scene and the other actor didn't oh um, and like disgusted with the with the director uh, but here I think neither of them necessarily were doing it on purpose it's just you know um, followed so naturally from from the text. That's cool, but like, yeah, you have at least two very big subtext lines uh, in this particular episode. We're going to get to the second one, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's interesting how did the actresses pick those things up because in the later seasons you can clearly see them playing a love story already. But like, it's I guess after some shit that has gone down it's it's hard not to pick up on right. that yeah yeah but anyway then we get to our villain of the day with draco who is actually after having watched this episode a pretty good villain he's a pretty good villain he's really hot like um we we immediately established that that Xena is hot, but there's there's some gender equality <laughs> happening there in terms of sexualizing warriors because <laughs> Draco is a total hunk. Like I I think we barely ever see any shirts on him. No, well why why would he wear shirts? Yeah, uh, he can like catch arrows shot at him with his bare hands. Sure, yeah, okay, and um, when. Zena and Draco first see each other. The first thing that they tell each other is like, "Oh, you look good." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's established that there has been some, at least some attraction from Draco's side. We don't know whether it, whether anything happened between them or not. Yeah, but it it is kind of established that he tried doing something, or or he like got kind of violent with her and and she responded and gave him a scar so like clearly there was at least an attempt at uh something um that xena was extremely not consenting to seems seems the case but also he draco has some sort of code of honor in a twisted way which is a nice touch sure yeah yeah yeah. Mm. So then we get to the scene of Gabby escaping her village and and uh, Leela, who is her sister, wakes up. And then they have this uh, nice dialogue, which actually I found pretty funny when she says, oh, you want to be a warrior? Leela, Gabriella's sister, said, oh, you want to be a warrior? I can beat you up. And then Gabby responds, yeah, but you're very strong for your age. Yeah, it's very sweet. I like that one too. Um, and then we... we- keep on with the uh, I'm not like the other girls topic, but I'm not like the other girls is uh, colored in a certain way <laughs> where she says like, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm different from everybody else in, in this town. And immediately after that, she she mentions uh, the, the prospect of marrying Perdiccas, her, her fiance is one of the reasons that she wants to leave. 
Um, so, you know, I'm different from everybody else in this town. Gay. Yeah, she means gay. Yep, yep. I guess I guess that's that's what we're establishing here. Um, yeah. But anyway, she manages to sneak out right. and go uh, follow Zena, who is riding along with her gender-changing horse, as we <laughs> found out. <laughs> the correct term these days is gender fluid. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a continuity error that uh, apparently at the beginning, um, Zena refers to Argo her horse as a boy and then mm. in the later seasons and when i was watching it i even clocked that because i distinctly remember in the later season argo being a mare so i guess that mm. at some point the screenwriters were like we need girl boss energy here we, d- we cannot have any male companion even if it's a horse <laughs> yes nice i like that so um also it, it turns out that uh, Argo has this like spidey sense of danger because uh, they, I'm going to use they to refer to Argo, okay. um, they don't uh, want to cross a bridge that looks totally normal and empty because they, they sense some danger. And lo and behold, on the other side, there is a blinded Cyclops. And we find out that it was Xena that blinded the cyclops and they um encounter each other and it's the 90s so <laughs> Zena uses her magic chakram to pull his pants down and then he like gets tangled in his own pants and falls down it's um sure yeah you know this is the series that later produces Joxer, so yeah. I guess the writing was on the wall. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of a Benny Hill sort of humor going on with the Cyclops. But also I really like to know that Xena blinded the Cyclops instead of Odysseus, who is also going to appear in the series, as far as I remember, mm-hmm. because I think almost all of ancient heroes and historical figures that are more or less known and are connected with ancient Greece are going to appear at some point. Oh, yeah. And even some that aren't. (laughs) And even some that aren't. (laughs) But it's nice to have this kind of collection of historic or legendary deeds that were actually done by Xena and not by the heroes that we think uh, they were done by. So, yeah, uh, Xena Mm -hmm. blinded the Cyclops instead of Odysseus um, and uh, then we have Gabrielle following her and uh, we have this very touching scene of her afraid of crossing the bridge so I guess it's like tells us how actually how sheltered and how um, unacquainted with the world at large Gabby really is but like with bridges yeah. Gabrielle doesn't doesn't want to walk on a bridge and like it doesn't look like a bridge that's about to collapse like it's it's not golden gate but it it looks fine and she's like oh my god the the bridge is gonna hold me up the bridge is gonna hold me up like chill out yeah well if it's the first bridge that you're crossing i guess yeah i don't know i thought that was a little bit weird that she would be so spooked by it i don't know maybe like in the mythological sense crossing of the bridge of like point of no return that sort of thing sure sure gabby tries to chat the cyclops up so the cyclops wouldn't eat her so first she's name dropping she's like oh Zena is my best friend and no she doesn't say that no no okay what does she so, say 
Gabby gets captured and uh, she starts negotiating with with the Cyclops. Okay. And um, first she tries to scare him off by saying that she knows Xena. Well, she's name dropping, yes. <laughs> yes, but she she just says that she knows her. Yeah. And Cyclops says, well, yeah, if if you're her pal, I would enjoy eating you even more. And she's <laughs> like, well, I didn't I didn't say that we were friends. I said that I knew her. And what I actually am doing is that I'm about to go and murder her. And and, the, and Cyclops is like, huh? How are you? You're like a, a tiny little girl. I don't know how he, he can tell. Uh, By the smell. But sure. <laughs> yeah, she, she smells small. Um, and he's like, you're, you're such a innocent looking little girl. How, how are you going to murder Xena? And Gabby says, well, that's the point. She'd never let a man get close enough to do her. Um, but a young, innocent-looking girl like me, I would totally catch her off guard. Interesting, interesting. Yes, I really, really enjoyed that upon this watch. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So yeah, then, then Cyclops and Gabby negotiate that Gabby is going to bring the Cyclops Xena's eyes uh, so that would make a really nice appetizer. And then the Cyclops is like, oh, I would appreciate if you bring me a leg too. And Gabby says, oh, well, she has two of them, right? You'll get both. And they part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we get to see how how good Gabby is at just bullshitting her way out of dangerous situations. Yes, yes. And this, I think this is my favorite, Gabrielle. And I think that now I can appreciate her more than I did when I was watching it when I was really, really young, uh, like a teen. Because I think I also had a little bit of that internal misogyny of like, I don't like girly girls. And that I think I kind of appreciated Gabby much more later on when I rewatched the seasons. And I kind of regret the loss of that Gabrielle closer to like, I don't know, end of season three, season four, where she becomes very serious and somber. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, Xena um, is being tracked down by Draco's men. And there are three men on three horses. So <laughs> one man, one horse. Very traditional. Um, and they, they, they see her. And then they lose sight of her. And somehow, in the meantime, she manages to, like go up the trees and jump from the trees onto first one horse and like kick the man off of that horse the the two people in front notice none of that like a, a man being thrown off a horse just does not alert them at all so she does that again she does that a second time with a second person and again the 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 one guy at the front just notices none of that um, and finally she just says, hi, I'm here. Um, and he's like, oh shit. At which point, uh, she uses her signature five finger death punch. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, not quite, not quite, but, uh, she like pokes him in, in the throat and apparently that like cuts off the flow of blood to his brain yes and she mentions that she is very yeah. aware of the functions of human body for 
a person who lives in ancient Greece. Right, right. But she's like about a thousand years old uh, based on different time periods that she gets to experience uh, throughout the, the series. So, you know, maybe she has amassed all kinds of um, skills and and bits of knowledge across those those years and epochs. Yeah, yeah, I guess. And we we will have a backstory for the five finger death punch. So, yeah, but it's yeah. nice to see it so early on established in the series. Um, yeah. So after that, we see Gabrielle trying to get to Zena, and um, she lies in the middle of the road. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> A person would luckily not run over her, but uh, would stop um, on his carriage. And uh, she would try to also chat this, I guess, traveling salesman up uh, to gift her a lift to Amphipolis. Amphipolis. Yeah. And I really enjoyed this character and enjoyed that Gabby tried to kind of chat him up in very different uh, ways she invokes the gods she says that she is a very good conversation maker and then at the end she says that she she took lessons from a traveling bard and tries to sing about oedipus and then it mm-hmm. we found out find out that the traveling salesman knew oedipus personally and can tell us all sorts of things because that's one of the lessons when you catch a ride from someone that the taxi drivers would rather tell you stories then listen to your stories fair enough even though we later uh on like a minute later find out that the dude actually didn't know oedipus personally but he's just so excited about the opportunity to to impress gabby with his uh with his um acquaintance of of him that he just like okay okay get on i'll, I'll tell you everything <laughs> yeah that, that that was a nice touch i enjoyed enjoyed that scene um mm-hmm. then we see beautiful landscapes of new zealand representing ancient greece which is actually a great match and xena um, arrives home and her mom spoiler does not is not impressed by that has doesn't want anything to do with her yeah yeah the mom is immediately like get out you're not welcome here um which i think is not a surprise given that up until that point, Xena has been a murderous warlord, um, but still, she's she's sad about it, obviously. Yes, and it's even darker than that because the men of the village uh, gather around and they want Xena gone. And at some point, it seems that they're going to I don't know lynch her, stone her, lynch her. Yeah, and uh, mom is just leaving with do what you will with her. Which is yep. a very stern contrast on what we're getting at the end of the series. Right, yeah. Yeah, um, we have a short interlude with Draco, again, being an awesome villain and uh, fighting with his, um, I guess, his scout who were supposed to follow Xena but actually spilled the beans because he was introduced to the Five Finger Death Punch. Um and it's kind of compelling how this uh, insignificant character tries to kill Draco in various ways. And uh, Draco manages to kind of fight him off very quickly and at the end kill him with the dagger. And then he just says, clean my dagger. 
Uh, and then again, we are back in Zina's village, and Gabrielle again showcases her uh, negotiating diplomatic skills. Yeah, because Zina is about to to get stoned, and uh, Gabrielle runs uh, to her rescue and uh, convinces the villagers not to stone Zina uh, because that's just not going to be helpful. Even if uh, they get the revenge, they they might anger Draco, and um, he would unleash unleash his wrath on them even harder. So she manages to convince them that if Xena just leaves, it's going to be better for everyone. Yeah, yeah, and at the end, it's also a funny bit where this, I guess, this elderly of the village, he says, "Just get Xena out of here." And Gabby's like, "No problem." No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. she's happy. She's happy just to be with Xena. It doesn't matter where. Yeah. Then we get a short conversation with mom. Um, which is also dark and Zina's mom is basically denouncing her. We have a short mm-hmm. scene in Zina's brother's mausoleum. Which is like a pretty fancy mausoleum. Like it's a big room, there are torches, it's it's like well decorated. The the casket itself has like skulls embedded in it. They they put some some money into, into it. It's like ancient Egypt vibes. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So yeah, but it's not very well kept though. Um, and it there's like and it's dusty. It's a touching scene between Zena and Gabrielle where Gabby says you're not alone, and I guess that the friendship kind of has its first uh, flourish just there. Um, and I don't remember how we get to the f- fighting scene at the end of the episode. Where does it happen? So. Um... Draco comes to the village and apparently the, um, the the village elder arranged a meeting with Draco to be like, hey, we have stuff. Let us give you stuff and then you don't murder us. And then Draco's like, well, what's the fun in that? Um, so uh, he's about to start murdering and um, he also... He, he's about to start murdering in, in part because they wouldn't tell him where Xena is because they don't know. Um, and that's when Xena appears and says, let's, let's figure it out between us. Let's, let's hash it out. And then they have um, the fight, the main fight. The main fight. And the main fight also is very much those um, Hong Kong... Uh, movie style where people are flying in the air and the fight mm. happens on those elevated staffs. Um, so it's very theatrical, but it also is cool that we see much like a D and D character, Xena growing and becoming mightier because at the very first episode she has, she actually of course defeats Draco because she's Xena, but mm-hmm. she has some trouble defeating Draco. And then later on as the series progresses, she gets, closer and closer to a superhero who can take down armies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, at one point during the fight, they they start fighting on, like, standing on the people below them, which is interesting because, like, I, I get why some random villager would tolerate Xena standing on them in order to win the fight, but, like, 
the the people that Draco is standing on, they can just like shake him off. I don't know, shake him off, sit down, like anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was also thinking of that, and I was thinking maybe they're afraid because if if Zena loses, maybe they do not want to be the guy that caused Draco to to lose but yeah that's his idea and like mm-hmm. it really seems that bad guys walk all over you because he's just like stepping on everyone's heads and then everyone is like oh right. Zena, have my shoulder and she i think she tries to get to like stand on shoulders the first few mm-hmm. seconds of the fight but then she's also walking on heads and making turns <laughs> on heads so yeah and there's a nice touch of draco's minion actually helping him up a couple of times because Draco is about to fall and the minion is like catching him and throwing him back up. And Mm -hmm. he does it two times. And the third time, Gabby uh, makes sure... Yeah, trips him, makes sure that the minion falls and this way Draco does not have an unfair advantage anymore. Ha ha. Yeah, nice. Or I guess the... Yeah, yeah, the... They they both have people helping out uh, with the with the minion for the Draco and Gabby for for Zena. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the fight is over. Uh, they make a pact that Draco she she spares Draco's lives, but Draco is going to leave, and the minion uh, is shows his ugly face one last time and tries to kill Zena, but Draco actually kills him uh, before and says the deal's a deal. Right, right. Not fair. Do we have this character come back? I don't remember. Draco? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. It, seem, it seems like a waste of character if he doesn't, because they built him up to be quite cool. Yeah, yeah. And the, the actor is, is cool, uh, as as I mentioned before. Very, very hot. Yeah. Um, and it also is, like, an interesting example of, um, like somewhat race blind casting mm-hmm. in in Xena which which we get also later yeah. um with with a few characters um because um the the guy who plays um Draco is of Samoan uh, heritage uh, as far as i know and we it's never addressed uh it's just like that um uh, and that that's like a, a nice touch I don't know how common that was in in the nineties to just like like oh yep and and this guy is going to be a person of color just because yeah it's I think it's it's a pretty rare thing still it it was a pretty rare thing still in the nineties so it's we can say that Zena is an early adapter of blind casting was like another reason to love this show oh <laughs> uh, but then we get to the conversation of Zena and her mom uh, which is in my opinion. Um, there are certain characters in the series who are victims of the plot and victims of the screenwriters. And I think that Zena's mm. mom, like they did her dirties. It's, it's she, she does not have a character of her own. She just has those generic strong woman qualities and generic mom qualities, sometimes one mm-hmm. or the other. And her kind of, She's very blatantly, oh, either I hate Zena and I denounce her as my daughter, or I see her fighting for us and, oh, I'm suddenly 
super cool with that. And I think that that's not the first, like not the last time where the screenwriters kind of did this character dirty because she's very inconsistent. And if, like, if, if you consider her a real person, this person is psychotic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely some emotional whiplash with her. Um, at the end of the episode, we see um, Zena and Gabrielle kind of camping out together. Zena uh, begrudgingly agrees to to share her her fire with Gabrielle and to let her sleep next to her. Um, wink, wink. <laughs> and <laughs> and there we see, I guess, uh, subtextually, um, Gabby telling. Zena that she's kind of kind of gay um, but assuming that Zena isn't um, because uh, Gabby says I'm not the little girl my parents wanted me to be you wouldn't understand um, interesting interesting but as we later find out of course um, they're both quite gay seems that Zena is more bi and Gabby is quite gay for, from what I remember of the series but I may be wrong yeah yeah I mean obviously we get um, a lot of heterosexual um, moments with with both of them um, it's something that the, the showrunners had to do for the the facade of this not being a lesbian show being maintained for sure for sure but like it seems that with Xena we those plot moments that she has with male characters, like even with Hercules at the very beginning of her or origin story, it seems more genuine. Whereas mm. every time Gabby has some sort of heterosexual um, shenanigans going on, like she's either like betrothed to someone that she doesn't want to marry, or there is this plot with her husband who gets killed off by Callisto uh the later seasons but there was also zero chemistry between her and that dude it's all oh i just mm. need to do that right right interesting well i guess we'll uh we'll see how it goes as the series progresses but do you think that it makes sense as a first establishing episode absolutely i feel like it it gives a lot of um important establishing facts about uh, the two main characters. We immediately know exactly what each of them is all about, what their main conflicts are, and um, what um, they might give us in the later episodes. So I think it does a, a really great job of that. Yeah, I also thought it was pretty good as a, as an establishing first episode. First episodes are very often throwaway and there's a lot of narration and like, oh, let us just explain to you how this works. And I think that here they managed to do that uh, gracefully without boring us too much or like invoking those plot crutches too much. So um, how many chakrams out of 10 <laughs> would you give this episode? Um... I would give it a solid seven. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's not the best episode ever, but as the first episode, it does exactly what it needs to do. And um, while it's not 
perfect. Um, it has some funny moments. It has some exciting moments. And um, generally, I think seven is is fair. I agree. I agree. Seven for me. Like there are absolutely fantastic episodes to come, uh, which are oh, yeah. much better. But yeah, as the first episodes goes, this is a solid one. And I hope the same could be said for <laughs> this podcast. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see what what the public says. If there is going to be a public, that that's the first test, I, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, thank you for recalling Zena's first episode with me. Did you say recalling? Recalling. Oh God, uh, we're going to. <laughs> After we switch this thing off, we're going to discuss season 15 of RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay. But for now... Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll come back to your headphones in the near future. That sounded <laughs> just right. Very natural. Um, love that journey. Okay, bye. Bye.